never worried that you might be the cool kid You wear the latest fashions on top of all the trends Or have you ever worried you were too much in the mainstream Always so generic, more normal than your friends Well, we've devised a test to put the rest your fears There's no need to panic if you lend us your ears Tonight you can't sleep easy after all that you've heard Cause if you like the show, then you're probably a nerd Oh, Ken, it's Ken, it's Welcome to the, another edition of the It's Canon Podcast. That's right, it's our featured episode, the episode de jour, the episode of the week, and we have a doozy this week for you. As always, I am your host, I am Boris, and today I'm joined by Phil. Hello, Boris, and everyone else out there. How are you doing? I am doing really, really good. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing fantastic. That's awesome. That's awesome to hear, considering the mood that we were in on Sunday. But a little more on that in a second. It is the It's Canon Podcast. The podcast where we talk about all things everything. All things geek. All things comics. All things toys. All things video games. All things books. All things movies, all things toys, everything and everything that goes into this package because we talk about it on this show because it's all in canon. That's what I heard. Yep, that's the rumor. I can corroborate. That is the rumor. It has been five years of doing this podcast and now we have gotten to the point where we are starting to repeat guests and phil on sunday a few days ago we had the absolute pleasure to interview one of my favorite people in the comic book industry one of my favorite people in toronto one of my favorite people in general to actually talk to about all things geek and that was jim zub yeah, uh, what an honor. Like, for me, it was the first time having the pleasure to, you know, just interact with him, let alone the privilege of inter- inter- interviewing him. And uh, what a guy. Like, uh, I'm just was blown away. I know I Googled a whole bunch and understood a whole bunch, but to actually hear it in context and, and from the man himself, um, uh, yeah, it was a humbling experience. It is, and we are going to bring in you the entire interview for free. We talked for over an hour. We talked about a lot of things. We talked about his projects. We talked about comic books. We talked about creating characters from creator-owned to long-standing IPs oh. like Spider-Man, like Conan, etc. We talked about, you know, project management and the hell that it's been this year in 2020. And, you know, one of the things that we really went in deep about is kind of how, you know, as much of a cliche as this is, you know, one thing that I've really noticed about this year is that we are literally all in this together. And that's one of the major things that we talked about. 
And it's something that's actually been going through my mind since we talked to him. And that is, you know, we are all in this together. I find that a lot of people have become a little more cynical, a little more paranoid, a little more angry, you know, but we're all going through a lot. That's the reality of the situation. 2020, and I hate saying all these cliche terms, these overused terms, but 2020 has been an absolute unprecedented year. It's been, you know, who would have ever thought, you know, in January, February, that March, you know, everything would literally change. The world would basically stop, you know, and one thing that I have noticed is that while everyone is coping in their own ways, you know, I feel that overall, we've been able to have a lot more honest discussions with people. Um, I'm noticing this at work, um, you know, even customers and colleagues. I find that we're a lot more open. We're a lot more appreciative of each other, of our time, respectful of each other and of our time. And, you know, the reality is, is that this year has not been easy for anyone. This year has been harder for some. Um, and, you know, the key is that we are all in this together. We all should be positive with each other because, you know, we're going to need each other's backs in some shape, way, or form. So it's really, you know, the message that I'm trying to get out here right now is, you know, reaching out, checking up on the people in your life, making sure that they're doing okay. And if you yourself are not doing great, I know it's super hard, but reach out to someone. Everyone must have someone in their life. And if you don't have someone, you know, there's so many amazing resources available today where, you know, you can reach out and talk to someone. Because I'm going to be 100% honest right now. One thing that I personally struggle with, and even I was struggling with on Sunday as we were recording, was I was feeling down. I was feeling, you know, hard done. It hasn't been the easiest of weeks for me. I've gone through, you know, some changes, um, some personal things that kind of uh, are on the on the suck level. But, you know, the reality is, is that I sometimes find it hard to reach out to people because I don't want to look weaker to them. You know, I don't want to, I don't want them to judge me. I don't want people to think, oh, Boris, he's just down all the time, you know, and, and kind of, that is kind of what my what quote unquote reputation is moving forward. The reality is is that I have very great people, Phil included, in my life that I can always reach out to, that I can always talk to, that I can have this these really deep conversations with, and it's no judgment, social circles, um, and I know that you know sometimes it feels like you are alone. Sometimes you probably feel like you don't have that person that you can reach out to, but the reality is that you can always reach out to someone. Hell, to our listeners, if you know you don't have anyone to reach out to, you can always send us an email, because as I've always said, we are Geek Therapy. I literally brought the show back for this very reason, just so that it gives me something to do to get me moving forward, to get, get my mind thinking about other things outside of what's happening in this world because it's more than just a pandemic you know we're in a few weeks we are going to go through one of the biggest elections that we have ever seen where it's more than just who is president on the line it's going to be a lot more than just that i don't want to get into that but that's the reality and all these things can weigh you down sometimes but that's why i brought the oh, show yeah. back so that we can talk about all things geek we can nerd out 
I'm always talking yeah. to two, two of them, the closer people in my life, and Tyler and Phil, to bring each and every episode with you. And honestly, it's been probably the most fun I've had in a really long time, probably since I was originally doing this show. And it's just been a pleasure to do it with someone like Phil, who, you know, for those who don't know, we've worked together on major projects. We've had our ups and our downs. We've worked very hard. Um, you know, we've uh, pissed off some major players in this world uh and um <laughs> you know it's a pleasure to always bring this show to you with us um and you know going back to what i was saying you know you can always find someone there are resources um you know and like i said worst case scenario we're always willing to help we're always willing to help you find a resource because we are here for all of our listeners because we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for all of you no, I, I, I echo that very much. Um, I know you and I have, have, as you mentioned, been through a lot and, uh, definitely talking to Jim and hearing about some of the struggles and, and whatnot that he's faced and some of the, some of the efforts that he's had to put into it made me a little introspective as well in terms of realizing just how much of a challenge this year has been in terms of isolation. And, and even, you know, I came to the realization the past few past couple times that i've gone out where you know especially during the summer when when the numbers were down in our region and and you go out and maybe do things a little bit like the old world but still in the new world context of all these rules that we have to follow i was getting a lot of anxiety and that was just off of being around people again so i think there's going to be a whole second wave pardon that pun of anxiety and whatnot when people do get back in the workplace and and you know hopefully that day comes soon but you know in the meantime it's exa- you're exactly right we got to look out for one another and you know open ourselves up to that level of not being um shut off from other people and not being judgmental just uh sharing yourself and being honest and i think that goes a long way because you can smell honesty, right? You know that. And I appreciate, uh, just personally, every time we fire up our computers and get on the air here, I, I do appreciate the opportunity to be on the show with you and with Tyler and with our great guests. Um, it's, yeah, it's been nothing but a pleasure. And, you know, hopefully maybe Todd comes back one day and we can help him with some of his problems. So, <laughs> Classic Todd. Classic Todd. Todd should reach out to us. I I would love to have a conversation with him because I know he's still listening. Let's be honest here. No, but going, you know, and that's, you know, that was the major takeaway for for me from the conversation that we had with Jim, you know, especially considering that Jim lives in Toronto. So, you know, our experiences are somewhat similar in that sense of, you know, what we've been going through, what we've been seeing. Um, And I know that, you know, even from like, you know, where you live, Phil, it's been different than my experience yeah. being downtown. Um, but, you know, like I said, and I, I hate using this so much, but it's the truth is we are all in this together. And this was my major takeaway from our conversation with Jim Zub. You know, and I don't want to well. take away from all the other things that we were talking about. You know, he has he's so insightful and out of, you know... Out of uh, this might even get me in a little bit of trouble down the line, but you know, out of any guests that we've ever had on the It's Canon podcast, 
Um, out of anyone we interviewed for comics I read, Jim Zub is one of those people who are just willing to put himself out there to help you. Um, he has his website, he has his Patreon, where he literally goes step by step in telling you how to create a pitch, how to write a story, what a script looks like, how to collaborate you know, with artists, with editors, with letterers, and etc. He does a fantastic job of this because you know he wants to help everyone he wants to give everyone a chance. He's willing to pass down the knowledge that he was given and the knowledge that he's gained over the years. And I think that to me, you know, that just makes such an awesome human being. Um, and, and, you know, not only is he so helpful, insightful, and just overall smart about the industry, he's just a really cool guy to talk to. Like, you know, our listeners are going to notice that, you know, you and I barely spoke during the interview yeah. he literally covered no, I... so many topics he covered questions that i had written down and he just like i'm like okay we're, we're done with this we're done with this we're done with this um and it was just really cool yeah like and it, it, it's great because number one he's a he's a great speaker he's very articulate um number two he's filling that space naturally which is amazing for somebody uh, guesting in a, in a format like this it's just, it, it was an absolute pleasure. I, I just literally sat back in awe of how much information was coming out, how useful the information was. And, you know, we even touched on his new Star Wars book. He writes a short story. It's his first time in the prowls. But he had lots of insight. And I wasn't sure if he was going to answer that straight up or not, because it was just an oddity or a curiosity on my end about somehow how that process works. And he was just so transparent about it and comparing it to other experiences with other mega corporations you know like this guy's just got so much comic book worldly knowledge and and, and writing and just creativity and he's just his years as as a teacher or a professor at seneca has just translated into that way of encapsulating it and presenting it and it, it's just the skill sets have all really come together and we're the benefactors in this interview of of just what a great guy he is. And the last takeaway that I really had, and I, you know, I'm not trying to blow smoke up his ass right now. Um, he is an awesome person, but you know, one of the other major takeaways that I personally had was the fact that he is so hardworking, you know, the, you know, when he started talking about how much research he does, you know, that is something that I was so happy that he touched on because, you know, a lot of people who, dream about being in comics they don't realize that even when you're in even when you've quote-unquote made it whatever that means whatever scale you're using to say that you've made it you still have to work your ass off in fact you probably have to work even harder and that's something that jim really exemplifies and he talked about it, and it was really cool yeah and the respect for the properties everything about how he's just constantly re-examining there's so much in this interview and believe me we're not even spoiling it yeah. like like to hear it from this guy and to hear his hard work and dedication, you know, like you say, I don't want to be blowing smoke up his ass, but he deserves a lot of recognition. He deserves these accolades because, you know, as, as we're all about to find out in this interview, uh, he exemplifies a lot of this stuff and, and man, he's at the top of his game. Like yep. made a Conan fan out of me. Yep. So without further ado, we've been talking for 15 minutes. And here it is, our interview. It's Canon Podcast with the one, the only, Jim Zub. 
And right now, we are joined by Jim Zub, Canadian comic book writer, artist, and teacher. Probably best known for Skull Kickers, Wayward, Glitter Bomb, etc., etc. So much work. Jim Zub, thanks for being on. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You, you know, before we started the, the recording here, you were saying that it, you think it's been five years since I was on last time. That seems crazy to me uh, how fast the time goes by, you know? Yeah. Uh, we were talking about uh, the last run of Skull Kickers the last time that you were on we were talking about wayward and then you know we we really got into the 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 process of the how you you know go from writing to collaboration with artists etc um so you know it's it's yeah it's five years five years (laughs) it's wild it's wild how the time goes by man yeah no it's good lots of good projects and i'm having a fun uh fun time with all all kinds of different stuff so yeah exactly and and you know one thing that i wanted to bring up right away is your website your patreon um you know i think that a lot of writers in the community in comic books do a great job of kind of helping each other helping up and coming writers people who are interested but i feel that you know you go above and beyond that um thanks our our third partner tyler who couldn't be here today you know he frequents your site he's part of your patreon and whatnot so yeah so you know why why do you feel like you should be helping others like you know is it that people helped you on your way up or do you just feel like giving back is just you know the right thing to do i think it's a bit of both i mean obviously i've had some really amazing people who have who have you know gone to bat for me and and been really supportive in my career but it was also something where i noticed there weren't a ton of resources online and so People would ask the same questions over and over and over again. And I thought, man, those were the kinds of questions that I was asking, that I was wondering about, and kind of had to, in many cases, stumble my way through or ask other professionals. And and it never got sort of, you know, publicized in that way. So I thought, okay, um, as I'm learning some of this stuff or as I'm kind of figuring out what works, I want to talk about it. And because I've been teaching so long, I've been teaching up at Seneca now for um, – geez, like 15 years. Um, and, and I'm used to kind of codifying stuff, like organizing my thoughts and going here is a logical way to step your way through this stuff. And so I think that just follows through to when I'm putting these articles together and I'm sort of saying, look, here's how a pitch works, or here's why a script is formatted this way, or this is the information you need to impart to an artist so that they know, you know, what you're trying to get across and, and just stuff like that. And some of it is, is things I was told and other things, you know, you learn through experience or, or making mistakes. And I'm like, these are easy things to fix, uh, or to avoid in terms of mistakes. So why not tell other people about them? And so that's kind of been the, and the great thing as well is that when people ask me now, instead of having to either try and bite size, give that information in a tweet or something, I can just send them a link, check this out. This is what I know about the subject. If it's not there, you know, then ask me and I can fill in the gap or whatever. 
Um, cause it, you know, I don't think it ever hurts to have more people making stuff. I think it's always beneficial to the community. I think it's really beneficial to comics as a whole. The only way you're going to get better is to make stuff is to make stuff and finish it and learn from it. And then, you know, start again, make more stuff. And, and it sounds really simple, but of course the execution is the hardest part, right? So if I can give you a little, some pointers or, or explain to you some of my, you know, experiences and here's how this stuff actually works or has worked for me in terms of, you know, being published or putting the stuff out there. And that gives you a, a bit of a leg up so that you're not having to go down the same pitfalls, then so much the better, you know? And and I think a lot of misconceptions that people have as well about working with publishers or or working with, you know, established intellectual properties like the Marvel superheroes or Conan the Barbarian or Samurai Jack or, or whatever, like those types of things, I think people have a lot of assumptions. They, it seems to be extremes. They either assume that we can do whatever we want or we have no control whatsoever. And we're just like, you know, a robot who has to execute what our masters are told or whatever, which is neither of those things are true. Every project's a little bit different. Every company and editor is a little bit different. You know, you have to learn how to be flexible and you have to learn how, you know, what your editor wants and how, what working process is going to, you know, get you to the finish line with the strongest, the strongest deliverable possible. That's kind of kind of the job, right? And That's so, exactly um, it. <laughs> yeah, and and so you know, at the end of it, we all want to make something great. We want to make something that readers love. We want to make something we're proud of, and that sells well. You know, that's kind of the universal hope there, right? Yep. And so our job is to tell great stories and to you know convince the people, you know, the people in charge that we're the right person for the job, that we're going to deliver on it and we're going to make their lives easier by doing it in a professional way. Right. And it, it all sounds really obvious. And then when you're in the midst of it, you're like, how do I do this? Like if it's, you know, it can be a little bit scary uh, and, and intimidating at times. Um, so hopefully, you know, if I put some of that knowledge online or say, Hey, this is what I've noticed and people find it helpful. Or it just, you know, demystifies the process on it, then we're all a little bit better off, you know. And and some of that is creator-owned specific and some of it is, you know, work for hire specific. So there's there's a lot of crossover there between the two, but there are some differences. And um, it's one of the reasons why I love doing both. Like I love having creator-owned work underway at the same time as I'm working on you know, more the the work for hire stuff. Because they're both very different in terms of working processes and and expectations and the kind of creative skills that they build up in you, you know? Yeah, for sure. And that brings up something that, you know, I wanted to ask, you know, you have your creator owned stuff. You also, mm -hmm. you know, you've worked on major IPs such as Spider-Man and whatnot. Um, you know, when you're given an IP like a Spider-Man, you know, how is it not intimidating? You know, like, I just feel oh, it's like, intimidating. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> you know, like right now I'm writing uh, the monthly adventures of Conan the Barbarian, right? Like one of my absolute favorite books when I was a kid. Yep. Um, means a lot to me to be the monthly writer of Conan the Barbarian. It feels surreal to say it out loud, even after all this time, and and that's a good thing. Like you want that kind of good pressure that this is important, that this matters, that you're going to put your all into it, you know. But you still have to. <laughs> move forward and and build the thing. And so I do a lot of research. I try and pay very close attention to what has been done before. And, and when I'm reading, you know, this is something that I tell my students, and this is something that I, I think is really crucial. 
once you decide you're going to make this your career, you can't be passive about the way you engage with your entertainment. So now, because storytelling is my job, whenever I'm engaging stories, whether that's watching a movie or TV or reading a book or, or a comic, I'm looking kind of under the hood constantly, like, how does this thing work? Or when, when a moment is really delightful in a film, it's like a little you know, switch goes off in my head and goes, why was that so good? You know what I mean? (laughs) What makes these characters so compelling? Why am I so thoroughly engaged? And so you have sort of two tracks of your brain going. You've got the immediate, I'm taking this in just like anybody. And the other part of my writer brain is constantly going, oh, that was really good. Oh, I got to remember that. Not because I want to copy it, because I want to understand it. I want to, I want to get under the hood and, and see how the engine runs and see if I can learn something to put into practice in my own work. You know what I mean? And the same thing when I'm doing research reading, like reading for fun is different from reading for research. Like when I read Mm -hmm. old Conan comics now, I've got a real sense of like, okay, I've seen this thing a hundred times before. I got to make sure I don't do that kind of thing. Or, oh, that's really fascinating. I hadn't thought of that aspect of the character is there something more i can be doing there you know or going back to the original robert e howard prose and rereading it and reminding myself what are the qualities in these stories and with this character that that meant a lot to me before and mean a lot to me now and how can i impart those to the reader that isn't just rewriting you know what what Robert E. Howard did, but just to, to look at the bigger qualities of it. Sometimes with characters, it's like the turn of a phrase, the way they speak, the way they engage with each other, you know, old bit, old bits of continuity that I think are cool, you know, just stuff like that. And so you end up having this kind of beat sheet or, or, or brainstorming pages of ideas and things. And, and even if 90% of it doesn't get referenced in the work, it's all going to inform it in a broader way, or there's going to be that 10% that becomes so crucial that, that I'm going to use and it's going to ignite a bunch of stories, you know, as I move forward. And so I tell people, you know, if you're working on one of these established IPs, whether it's the Avengers or, 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 you know, Rick and Morty or Dungeons and Dragons or any of this stuff, you got to kind of like marinate yourself in it and be like, okay, not only what is this thing, and and even though I know this stuff quite well, just reminding myself, why do I think this is cool? What are the qualities that make it so cool? Remind myself of that because I want to be able to impart it into the work. But also, um, you know, to to look for those little gems that are buried under the surface or things that maybe people aren't haven't you know dug into as deep that I can bring something new to the table with it or or you know show some other facet to the to the the property or the character or whatever and that's you know that just takes time and it takes concentration and and you dig in as deep as you can my reading list is kind of heinous like I've got stuff on my tablet I got books on my by my bedside table and before I go to sleep at night I'm usually just chunking through stuff I've got a little pad of paper there and if something jumps out at me I'll just quickly scribble it down and and follow up with it the next day you know yeah. You just kind of get used to it as part of your schedule. Yeah. I'm going to write a bunch and I'm going to read a bunch and I'm going to write a bunch and I'm going to read a bunch. Um, you know, I don't watch as many movies and TV shows as a bunch of my other friends because I'm usually I'm usually working. Like yeah. that's the simple truth of <laughs> you know, uh, someone sent around one of these viral lists and they were like here are a hundred TV shows that have come out in the last, you know, 20 years and they're culturally important. How many have you seen like all the way through? And I was like, 
I think it was like six, <laughs> six of them. And they yeah. were pretty common ones like Game of Thrones and, you know, stuff like that. Like, but the majority of them, it's like, I've watched maybe a few episodes, but I haven't had time. Like I don't uh, get the chance to binge watch tons of stuff on Netflix and that's, that's okay. You know, um, I will watch certain things from time to time, but my job is comics and writing and, you know, that's going to be the majority of my attention anyway. So exactly. That's and a, I don't that's think amazing people... though. Go ahead, Phil. Like, yeah, I mean, sorry, I'm just going to say like something. A, no, it's not woe is me. It's like, oh, no. Yeah, yeah it, it's definitely, I can see it being work <laughs> as well. But but I just want to point out really quickly as well, something you touched on, how, I don't know, of a certain age group, I guess, how massively important Conan the Barbarian was growing yes. up. It, you you know, know, like. And I think like the character is one of the most important literary kind of characters in fiction, right? Like yeah. he defines an entire genre in terms of sword and sorcery. He predates, you know, Tolkien and a bunch of other seminal works. And, and to be, there are far more Conan stories in comics than any other medium. So as much as the character is a prose character in terms of his origin, arguably he's had the biggest impact in via the comics, the comics, mm-hmm were the vehicle that led, um, you know, to the movie happening more so than the novels. Right. And so in that way, you know, the comics are central to the character and he's got such a huge publishing history and to have even a small impact on that and hopefully a long and and storied one I want to have, but, but any impact whatsoever, it feels really special to me. Um, you know, last year I got to write a three issue story of Savage Sword of Conan. And there was a story I put together called Conan the Gambler. And I kind of thought that was my mic drop on the character. Like I was just going to tell what I thought was a quintessential Conan story. Here are the qualities I think make a great Conan story. Here's the kind of payoff that works. And it didn't, you didn't need to know that much about the character to dive in and enjoy it. And if that was the last Conan story I got to write, I would have been, you know, pretty happy. (laughs) Um, but in turn, it became, uh, an audition that I didn't anticipate. I didn't realize that Jason Aaron was getting ready to leave the series. And so I delivered that story and the Conan properties, people absolutely loved it. And the editor really loved it. And so when they were like, well, Jason's heading off the book, who's our next, you know, writer internally, they were like, well, Jim's at the top of our list. And they called me up and offered me the book. And I actually, um, I took a day or so to decide. I, as much as you'd think in the moment, I would just jump on it. I wanted to, but I was a little intimidated, sort of getting back to your point. How aren't you yeah. intimidated? Absolutely. And I just wanted to make sure that that I could bring my best to it, that I was going to have um, the, the focus on it that I, that I wanted. You know, At that time, I was co-writing Iron Man with Dan Slott. And it was a great run. It was a lot of fun, but this was a solo, you know, gig. This is, this is Conan and this is something I've always wanted to do. So I contacted my editor, you know, uh, Tom in the Avengers group. And I said, I'm going to leave Iron Man because this is, you know, I got to give this my all. And he totally understood and everyone was great and supportive. And then I turned around and said, okay, like, you know, bring it on, let's do this thing. And so that's the kind of stuff that, you know, it's intimidating and wonderful at the same time. And you're like, okay, now you, you always have that little imposter syndrome in your head. Um, and then these kind of opportunities come along and you're like, man, I am faking it so crazy right now. I can't believe, you know, these opportunities that are coming my way and that people are enjoying this stuff. 
Um, and I just hope I can keep that momentum and keep, keep that, you know, kind of spark in my, that I'm always excited about it. Like, it's not that every project is going to be fun because some projects are, are downright difficult, but, yeah. but challenging is important. You know, it's not always easy, but that's okay. That's part of the, the process on it. But if I don't, if I'm not excited about it or I'm not, you know, pumped to put in that effort, then why am I doing it? You know, then it's mm-hmm. going to show, it's going to show in the final work. It's going to show in the, you know, the readers can tell <laughs> if you don't care, yeah. if you're not into it. So that for me is such a crucial part of it is making sure I've got something to bring to the table as much as possible with these books, you know? Oh yeah, no, that's, that's for sure it right there. Like, and I'm not, I'm not shocked that it took you a day or two to accept because, you know, I would, if I was in your position, I'd be like, you know, is this really something I want to do? Like just the, the lure, the importance of the character. Like what if I drop the ball or something like I, my mind would be going a mile a minute. Like even as you were talking about it, my mouth, my mind was going a mile a minute. Um, Yeah. And you, you know, you, it's an amazing thing to be asked to do this stuff. And I never want to take that for granted. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so that's, it's important to me. And I've turned down a couple of gigs and I don't, I don't publicize which ones, but I've turned down some gigs that I know some of my friends or other people in the industry were kind of shocked about because I realized that it wouldn't be a good fit. That as much as on a surface level, it might've seemed like I was a choice for it. I'm like, no, I'm not actually going to be able to do a good job or, or at that time I was overbooked with other things and no one deserves to be, you know, sloppy seconds or whatever. And, and so it's a weird thing to say, to, to turn down a gig where most other people, you know, would be like, you know, dropping anything to do it. But that's the thing is that I've got to cut, you try and look at the broader goals of, look, these are the projects I've committed to. And that is a, a commitment quite, quite honestly, you know, and, and it sounds all well and good to take on as much stuff as possible. But if you start screwing things up, those opportunities won't, won't, stick around you know what i mean well that's exactly um, it and i think that you know you raise a very important point there that i want to like anyone who is an aspiring writer aspiring you know creative person is you can say no sometimes you don't always have to say yes it can be weirdly potent and and not that i'm saying you should do that you're doing it for strategic reasons but honestly it's like you know, if I'm honest with someone and I tell them I can't give this my full attention, most editors are going to deeply respect that. You know what I mean? And and if they want to work with you, when the time comes back around and I say yes, they're going to know that I'm saying yes for the right reasons and that I'm saying yes because I'm going to mm-hmm. give them my attention, my focus, and this is going to be, you know, awesome or whatever. Like that that I'm not just saying yes out of out – of, um, knee jerk, you know, whatever, or, or, Hey, more dollar bills or whatever. Like I'm looking at this and going, this is honestly what I can handle. And this year is so strange for that too. Right. Because everyone's creativity, I think is, is, you know, you're distracted in ways we've never been distracted before where, (laughs) you know, where our attention is being just sort of ground down to the nub. And then on top of that, the industry is going through all sorts of upheaval. So it's a really weird time in terms of that. I had, you know, I had moments where I thought to myself, man, a bunch of the gigs I was working on were on pause, but there was a small part of me that was thankful because I don't know that I would have been able to concentrate on it anyways, you know? Mm -hmm. That's exactly it. Like, and you know, you brought up my next point was kind of 2020 
and everything, yeah. the difficulties <laughs> that 2020 has brought on. Because um, just last week, we were talking about, you know, Dune being delayed a year. Right. Um, and, and, and just how movie schedules in general are being delayed, moved, you know, production halted, stopped on like the Batman and things like that. Um, so, you know, we were, th- we were talking about like, you know, how are people scheduling their projects at this point? You know, how does that commitment look to them? You know, at what point can they start looking for a new gig? Like, it just seems like everything is up in the air. So, you know, from your perspective, how has scheduling 2020 been it's been weird obviously um you know there there were moments there where i kind of thought oh man this is sort of i don't know how comic shops are going to endure you know for a few months there it looked really really ugly and thankfully things seem to be sort of shaking out and in in weird ways the the publishers putting out less titles i think is also allowing stores to focus a bit more and say okay these are the books we can put more you know kind of oomph behind rather than it just being this relentless list of of titles being released every single week um so you know there are good and bad sides to this whole thing and and that's been yeah it's been surreal and a little bit strange at times watching this stuff go through this upheaval um it's been tough in the sense of like you're trying to schedule stuff out with publishers and everything has this kind of hanging maybe behind it. Like everyone says, Oh, we really want to do this thing. We think it's going to be published at this point. Um, we'll be in touch and you're like, cool, great. And then weeks go by and you can't even really get mad at anyone because you're like, well, we're all kind of just riding this thing out. We're all just sort of figuring out week to week, month to month, you know, what's needed or how it's going to, work or not work to be quite honest um and so i'm trying to be flexible one of the reasons why i did the you know the the kickstarter was for that very reason because it was something that i had complete control over and i could decide when we start and i can decide how production goes and you know when we were going to launch that kickstarter and all that stuff and i wasn't um i i wasn't beholden to anyone else you know in terms of when it when it goes and so I knew that no matter what happened, I would have that thing going consistently, you know, for the next few months. And then hilariously, just as we were basically getting ready to launch the Kickstarter, a bunch of my other projects kicked back into gear. And I was sort of laughing like, well, well, I guess I'll just do it all. That's fine. We'll do it all. <laughs> what, what the hell? You know, life so just been, got busier. <laughs> life just got busier. And that's OK. You know, there are definitely worse fates. And given that I, a lot of people are not getting consistent work i can't you know i wouldn't complain in terms of that it is what it is but yeah it's um it's been a really really weird year um you know my my kind of releases for the past i guess probably four to five years have been really on the up and up like more issues coming out almost every year uh greater diversity of projects from a bunch of different publishers and this year like everyone else minor cut back, you know, because there's a big publishing gap or because certain projects got paused or whatever. And yet I still have quite a buffer of work to do and and things going on. So like always, you know, the freelance writing thing is, is partially about what, you know, what you get scheduled and partially about what you make for yourself. Yeah. And I think that's, 
a big part of it and understanding that these two things are a constant and it doesn't matter at what point of your career you're at, you're always going to have those kind of fluctuating as you go and try not to freak out and, you know, keep, uh, keep that stuff moving forward. Exactly. Yeah. That's really all you can do, right? Like just keep on trucking, stay positive. You know, everyone is, and it's in- easier to say than do. Yeah. Me. Like definitely <laughs> moments where we all feel that, um, pressure or frustration. I think the big thing for me has always been like, okay, I'm not going to erupt like online or publicly, you know, if I can at all help it. Like if I'm frustrated or things are driving me crazy and they definitely do at times, you know, call up someone I like or one of my friends or someone I trust and, and vent to them rather than just being like, hello, internet, let me, uh, you know, <laughs> let me ignite a tornado. Like it's yeah. just not, it's just not my, my style. So. Exactly. That's probably advice we could all take. (laughs) Yeah. And there's times where I need to hear it too. Like my, my wife is definitely a steadying force where I'm, you know, on the, on the cusp of hitting post on something. And she's like, how, what do you think that's going to do to improve the situation? And I was like, nah, nothing, (laughs) you know, (laughs) it's weird. Yeah. You'll get that a little, little, uh, uh, adrenaline rush and then it'll all just be a huge pain in the ass. We're like, ah, let's not do that. Yeah, oftentimes it's literally like throwing, you know, gas to the flames and you just make things so much worse. And, you know, if you take a step back, breathe, think about it, chances are like what you're going to post that shitstorm, like it's just not worth it at the end of the day. Yeah. And, and, you know, I get it from the point of view of like, you know, social media is a varied beast and, and it can be really potent particularly when if you're funny or you're engaging on that level but like i just find the the online endless arguments i can't i can't do it mm-hmm. I'm, yeah i'm exhausted just thinking about it it's like okay you, you know m- the people that are getting into those arguments they're not good faith arguments where people want to be convinced or or they literally just want to have an outlet to get angry at you and you at them and i'm like yeah no I'll uh, I'll save my energy for something else. It's really not worth it sometimes. So, going back, you brought it up. Sure. We'll talk about it. Kickstarter, Skull Kickers, yeah. 10-year anniversary. Congratulations, yeah. by the way. That's <laughs> awesome. You. Yeah, it feels so surreal because, you know, although I had done some comic stuff before it, Skull Kickers really kind of ignited my writing career. And since that book launched... You know, I can very much track the growth of my career as a writer and the opportunities that came from it and to where things are now where, you know, I'm I literally have not stopped doing monthly work at Marvel since like probably 2016, you know, and um, I've been doing some of the the things I love most like Dungeons and Dragons or, or, you know, Samurai Jack or stuff like that. All of it kind of fed out of the things that Skull Kickers brought. And so it, it's weird to me now that a lot of people have discovered my work, particularly sword and sorcery stuff that haven't read that. Cause that's like the original Jim <laughs> fantasy book. Yeah. And so it was a good excuse to bring it back into the spotlight. 
to celebrate, you know, how far we've come to make something new, to, to, you know, build something cool with the team that we haven't, you know, done this in five years and, and let's really jam and, and have fun and do this thing and make it a little bit bigger and crazier than before. Um, and everyone's just brought so much joy to it and so much energy to it. It was amazing. But because the unique format of it, we were going to do this comic story, brand new comic story and, like a tabletop role-playing game adventure, it didn't quite fit. It didn't fit at a at a, a game publisher, and it didn't fit at a comic publisher. And I was like, ah, well, that's the kind of thing that Kickstarter as well, because now I can find the exact audience that wants that thing. Yeah, and we can build it mm-hmm. exactly the way I want, and I don't have to compromise or ask anyone's permission or just do it, you know. And I've done enough books over the years. We know how to do the pre-press. We know how to get the people together. It's just you know, kind of making sure we have the funds to pay for it, and that is exactly why you know crowdfunding exists. And so it was a real joy to be able to dig in and do it. And we're still plugging away on it. Um, our deliverable on it isn't until like next, you know, spring, but we've already got the comic book story done. It's just getting colored now, but it's already drawn and lettered. Um, the game stuff is taking longer cause it, and I knew it would. And so that's in development. I've got, um, four different, RPG designer game writers that are working with me and we're building out this crazy adventure and we're going to play test it and we're getting all sorts of new artwork in there. And I have a cartographer who's making wicked dungeon maps and it's very nerdy, delightful. Like it's like, I feel like I'm, I'm 10 years old again, except instead of me drawing a cool map on graph paper, you know, for my brother and I, it's like now, now I'm working with these amazing professionals to build this thing and a whole bunch of people are going to get to enjoy it. So Exactly. And, pretty- you know, it's so 10 year anniversary, the Kickstarter, you made all your stretch goals. Um, it's a comic and an RPG game. Exactly. Why, why would you do this to yourself? <laughs> why, why did you decide to? I mean, it's a lot both? of extra work. That's for sure. Um, I mean, tabletop role-playing games, particularly Dungeons and Dragons, but gaming in general has been so formative. And although Skull Kickers doesn't reference RPGs specifically, spiritually, it carries a lot of that ridiculousness. Like, the dumb stuff that happens at the table with your friends, that manic kind of energy that comes out with the dice rolls and with the stupidity of, of friends all jamming together, that improv kind of quality very much is at the heart of skull kickers. And, and skull kickers is kind of like a love letter to dungeons and dragons and Conan the barbarian. And the weirdest thing is that now in my career, I'm working on dungeons and dragons and Conan the barbarian. And, and so it, I just thought it was a, the right kind of celebration to really bring it back to that source and make a, a, a tabletop adventure along with the comic. And thankfully, you know, I've got a bunch of people um, who do this professionally for a living so they can sort of channel my, you know, fire hose of stupidity and, and make it, uh, you know, make it actually playable and super fun and, and all that kind of stuff. And so I'm so thankful to, to, you know, uh, Mike and Clint and Eleanor and, and, and Ian and, and all the other people I'm working with on this because they love games as much as I do. And they want to make this thing super fun. And, and, you know, that it's not just, I I think sometimes in the past 
people have done little RPG things, but because they don't put the design into it, it's more like a joke. Like it's like a couple pages at the back of a book and you go, oh, that's cute. But this is like, no, this is a real playable adventure. It's going to be totally viable. Whether or not you follow the comic book story kind of isn't important. It's still going to be a really fun game. It's still going to be really engaging. You know, it's the kind of adventure I would have wanted, you know, to play through. Yeah. And that's really important to me. I don't just want to make something like I make the comics I want to read. I want to make the games that I want to play, you know. Mm-hmm. That's exactly uh, it, you know, and yeah. I feel like, you know, you're lucky and blessed that you can actually do that professionally yes. and, you know, release it to the masses. And clearly the masses wanted this. Um, yeah, you know. yeah. The response was really cool. Um, I've got this guy, George Rohack. He's been managing Kickstarters. He used to be the print buyer at Oni Press and he took care of printing when during Scott Pilgrim and all that sort of stuff was launching. He knows printing backwards and forwards. He's run dozens and dozens of Kickstarter campaigns for high profile um, people like um, the Atomic Robo guys and stuff like that. And he... Um, you know, he was the one who was suggesting certain things about how we structured the Kickstarter. And he put tiers in there like, oh, well, you know, we can do original art and we can do, you know, these kinds of things. And I thought, no one's going to, no one's going to support at that level. That's crazy. Lo and behold, <laughs> they did. Like, he knows this stuff and I don't, you know. So he was very formative about kind of how those, the direct kind of support works and that fans really want to be able to, um, put their money down on something they think is cool. And I'm very, I have held off for a very long time on doing a a crowdfunding thing because I don't want to screw it up because those are your absolute hardcore fans. Like the people that are willing to give you money months in advance for a thing sight unseen beyond, you know, a couple JPEGs on your, like, that's (laughs) crazy. That is a, that is a, a trust that they are putting in you and the, in the process because they love what you've done in the past and they're willing to put money down, you know, without, without the, the object there. And, um, I never want to screw that up because those are the people that deserve the best from me. You know, yeah. um, those are the people that seek me out at conventions. Those are the people that have encouraged me when, you know, when, when things have gone wrong. And, and so to say to them, okay, you know, here we go together, we're going to do this, but I need your help. And they jump to it. That is a very cool thing. And so I didn't want to do a crowdfunding thing until I knew we had all the resources in place. We had a schedule in place. I knew the people that were going to do it. We had a printer lined up, like all those things that you kind of, they feel abstract when you're producing stuff and, and they're under the hood. People don't know, like no one cares you know, how the book was printed. They just want it to look good. Yeah. <laughs> they don't mm-hmm. care how it gets shipped to them. They just don't want it to be damaged. You know, like all those things you need to set up and, and not take for granted. But if, if it works well, people will just be happy to have the stuff. And if it goes wrong, they will be so mad, you know, because mm-hmm. why is this busted or why didn't it get to me or, you know, all these things. And so I just, I knew I didn't want to, I've read too many horror stories of, uh, of failed Kickstarters or screwed up Kickstarters or people that have spent all the money because they didn't keep shipping in mind or they didn't understand how this stuff worked. And so I held off for a long time until I was like, we can do this proper. Yeah. And this will not, this will not be, you know, some monkey on my back for the next two years or something, you know? 
Oh, that's exactly <laughs> it. You know, I remember like five years ago, six years ago, Kickstarter and comic books were like almost synonymous with each other. Um, but I, because of those horror stories, because of even I've been, you know, screwed over in the past, you know, putting support in something and then project getting canceled or, you know, something's happened. Um, mm-hmm. And over the years, I've noticed that there's less and less comic book projects on Kickstarter. Um, so, you know, go to your point, you know, that having that trust with your direct fans, like these are your yeah. hardcore fans. So, you know, I fully understand. And, you know, your reasoning behind still being a little iffy about it. But, you know, I'm glad that you did bite the bullet and I'm glad that we are going to get this. Um, oh, yeah. And I'm super proud of of what we were able to put together on it you know and and the fact that people really came out to show support for it that's what's heartwarming to me is because especially on skull kickers because the reality is you know dungeons and dragons is a heck of a lot bigger than i am you know samurai jack and the avengers and all these things people are fans of those characters as they should be because they're wonderful or fans of those worlds as they should be because they're amazing but when i say hey this is my thing are you still interested? And people are like, yes, of course. That is really cool. You know, that is such an amazing feeling because Skull Kickers would not exist without me and Edwin and Misty and Chris and, and Marshall and everyone else. But but our team, that it's, you know, that little group of us that we make this thing ourselves and that's why it exists. And you like that, you know? Yeah. It's like, um, same with Wayward, you know, when Steven and Tamara and I made Wayward, it's like, that is our own thing. And so yeah. when we had a great, you know, readership that was following along, they're not they're not reading it because I was, you know, writing Thunderbolts. They were reading it because they wanted that story. And that is very, very cool. That's know? exactly what it was for me. Like I'm wayward to this day is still, you know, top five books in the past 10 years that I've read. The entire series was awesome and I really loved it. And it's just like you were able to merge fantasy and anime and, you know, really get down in, you know, into these characters. And that's why I really loved it. So, you know, naturally I'm going to ask, do you foresee (laughs) (laughs) more wayward down the line? Well, I guess the 10th anniversary of that will be 2024. No, um, <laughs> it's, it's hard to say. Like, I know Steven and I have talked about doing another project together, and I think he would, uh, you know, so I don't know if we would necessarily go back to Wayward or we would just make something in that style mm-hmm. in terms of what we love with a, you know, so that we could channel off into other areas as well. It's weird because on the one hand, I would love to do more, but I also... I like when stories have endings. Yes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I like having a beginning, a middle, and an end. And Wayward has that very strongly. That doesn't mean there's no opportunity to do sequel stuff. But I, I don't want it to feel like where, you know, you're just trotting out the same stuff again. Like, we got to make yeah. sure we've got something cool to say, you know? Yeah. And that's where it might be like, what if we got the same creative team together, but we did a different story? So it's the team that brought you wayward is now doing something here. You know, that could be a cool potential thing. I don't know. It's something that we sort of talk about off and on and I'm trying to sort of solve, uh, you know, same thing like Max Dunbar and I are doing stone star over at comiXology. We're having an absolute blast on it. It's a space fantasy series, create our own book. 
And we're already talking about what we want to do after Stone Star. Like we want to do another book together. And that's a really cool feeling because it's like for me, it's going to be it's not Stone Star, but we're continuing the same team with the same kind of momentum and the same cool, you know, camaraderie that we have. Right. And that's one of the things that's so exciting about it. So I think it's like on the one hand, you you know, you don't you don't want to give up on a on a good thing but equally i think like endless sequels for the sake of sequels is not always the right choice right so that's exactly mm-hmm. it you know and i appreciate you know you saying this because a lot of times you know it's 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 you know you can probably pump out another five issues of wayward you know get right. the paycheck you'll be happy but you know is that the integrity of your work? Is that is it really a good, what you is want? Is it a good story? Like if I, you know, and the great thing is, is that we left aspects of the story open that yeah. if I'm walk, I'm out for a walk and all of a sudden it hits me like, oh man, we never explored this aspect of it. That is its own thing. That is cool. We got to do it. I could call up Steven and go, all right, man, I'm going to send you an outline in like five hours. Start drawing. Like, we could do that. And that's, what's really fun about it. And you know, like with skull kickers, like if you'd have asked me five years ago, I would have said skull kickers is done. I'm really proud. We did it. It's got the ending that I want, but skull kickers was always so ludicrously open-ended that the idea of us coming back to kick at it again and, and do a dumb, you know, fantasy story, self-contained thing that just works because those, those heroes can kind of show up anywhere and, and cause shit. That is sort of their jam. Right. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And in this case, we wanted to do the story in the Skull Kickers 10th anniversary is called Caster Bastards and the Great Grotesque. And it's basically about a magic school. So we get to riff on a whole bunch of kind of Harry Potter stuff and and other magical isms and sorcerers and spellcasting and things that we never really dug into in the series. And we we tore into and bulldozed a whole pile of fantasy tropes in skull kickers and that was one area we never really went into because the characters aren't wizards they just ignored that kind of stuff most of the time they were killing monsters more than they were fighting magicians you know and mm-hmm. so it was like okay the sorcery side of things we didn't really touch upon very much let's lean into that really heavily and have these guys bulldoze that and so it just seemed like a natural entry point and then because we had this magic school as a location that became the location for the dungeon that became the adventure that we could build is here's this insane magic school that's full of weirdos and effed up monsters and all this stuff. And now you can play it. You can play through that place and you can attempt to graduate from this psychotic school with its rules that make no sense. And it's characters that will drive you bonkers, you know, and that became like the, the, it it sort of fed itself, you know, in this wild windup of, of ideas. So that's awesome. Yeah. So, you know, we've been talking a lot about a lot of the projects that you've been working on. I kind of want to jump a little bit into the industry in general. You know, you've sure. been around for a really long time. You've, um, you know, you're celebrating anniversary. And I have the scars to prove it. Exactly. <laughs> and you're still here. You're kicking. Um, That's right. You know, how have you seen the comic industry change obviously it's gone through changes it's had its ups and its downs and right now there's seems to be a big question mark how do you foresee you know the the changes that you've seen and where do you see the industry going in general i mean everyone wishes they had a crystal ball and could tell you what's going to come next because it's it feels like all of media is up for grabs you know movies 
movie theaters are in question. You know what I mean? Regular book mm-hmm. distribution is in question. Retail stores and malls are are a big question mark. And so comics are definitely feeling those kinds of crunches and changes. I'm not worried about comics as a medium. People love comics. Um, you're going to see more crowdfunding, more creator-owned stuff, which I think is great. You know, these big creator-owned launches over the past few months, stuff like you know, uh, uh, Donnie's uh, crossover or, or uh, you know, James Tinian's uh, um, Department of Truth and stuff like that. Yeah. Those show that people are still hungry for cool ideas and big launches. But I think you're going to see more people going straight to, you know, the fan base, stuff like what Scott did with Noctera and stuff like that. You're going to see more, um, more niche kind of markets growing out of this, you know, web comics and, and the internet has been transformative to the industry and crowdfunding has been transformative to the industry. And that is going to continue. And you're going to see more traditional publishers looking at that, those outlets as a way to absorb some of the risk and the costs. You know, the first few times I saw what I would consider big companies using things like Kickstarter you know, there was a, a slight revulsion, like, hey, you're not supposed to do that. This is supposed to be for the little guys. But the industry decided that that was viable, that you yeah. could fund a, a video game, that you could fund a film project or a documentary or, you know, whatever, in ways that you wouldn't have seen previously. And so I think that's just going to be more and more of the case, that you're going to need to appeal to a direct fan base more, and you're going to need to convince them that this is worth putting money down on, you yep. know, um, which which is good and bad. You know, I think that there's there's something to be said for the traditional publishing model and their ability to put, you know, stuff out in front of people. But if people can't go to stores it's a little hard to browse, you know, so you've got to, you've got to find the direct hardcore. Um, but it changes the game. It changes the way that people look at marketing. It changes the way that people look at proposals. Yep. It changes the risk that they're willing to take and the budgets that they're willing to put into these projects. You know, creators have already become marketers. Like it used to be that only the PR team would worry about sending out previews or, or, you know, drumming up interviews or things like that. And now it's like every creator has got to be beating that drum or got to be putting stuff out there, social media expectations and that kind of stuff, you know, and that for better or for worse, you are somewhat representative of the companies you work for. Like I do a lot of work for Dungeons and Dragons, you know? So when people know that I am not the official word of Dungeons and Dragons, but if I were to do something extremely embarrassing to, to Wizards of the Coast, there would be, there would be Mm -hmm. words there, you know, in Marvel comics or any of these companies. Um, And so it's a weird kind of thing now where we're all in this symbiotic relationship of, you know, I benefit Marvel and Marvel benefits me and we're all trying to promote stuff, but, but still be ourselves, you know, at the same time that I am not Marvel and I can be a cheerleader for Marvel, but that doesn't mean every movie and TV show is my favorite. And, you know, like I don't need to be Mm -hmm. a mindless automaton, Yeah. but by the same token, I'm also not going to go out there and shit talk, you know, exactly (laughs) the, the people who are, who are paying me and, and hiring me. That's not, that's not wise. Right. So yeah. there's, a, there's a weird balance there, you know, that's exactly um, it. it's, yeah, it's a fascinating time, man. It's like, it's like, I want 
yeah, I would love to know that stability is coming and conventions will be back and everything else. But yeah. in the grand scheme of things, that feels so far down the priority list for the regular, you know, the general public. You know what they want to do? They want to be able to go to a grocery store and not be scared. You know, yeah. <laughs> they want to they go to their day jobs, get on a bus and ride the subway and be, be concerned that it's going to be a health risk. They want to see their families. And so I'm in that same boat, too. And so industry stuff is like, on the one hand, very relevant to my day, but recontextual the bigger picture of, you know, what we're all kind of going through. And that's, that's the weird part of it. So on the one hand, I'm thrilled that I get to do this stuff and I am still doing this stuff, that I get to do a crowdfunding project, that I get to, you know, work with these publishers and these, these artists and collaborators. But I'm also trying not to be like, so navel gazing about it that it's just like, well, comics, that's the most important thing ever. It's like, no, we've all got a lot more on our plates right now. It's led to some fascinating conversations with editors. Yeah. Like as much as I, I feel like I'm closer to my editors now than I was before the pandemic, because we're having these very real conversations. We're having conversations about fears and yeah. depression and, and productivity and everyone's giving each other a bit more breathing room. Like, you know, I would never have dared to say like, yeah, I don't know if I can get that to you Monday, you know, not because I was, I didn't think the editor liked me or whatever, but you're like, but now everyone's kind of, you know, frayed at the edges and you're like, Hey man, I'm really struggling right now. Can we jump on the phone and just talk? Yeah. Like real human beings, not just story vomiting machines, you know, like, <laughs> like, and it's oh. been kind of nice in that way. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, trying to see a silver lining in all this weirdness, right? But I think I think it means we're also not taking stuff for granted. Like when conventions come back and when travel comes back, I think you're going to see a lot of it, but you're also going to see people really relishing the experience in a way that they maybe had forgotten you know, because you didn't know what you had until it was gone, right? That's exactly yeah. it. You know, I, I, uh, talking to a lot of creators and artists and writers as much as they love conventions sometimes it's like the hardest part of you know the job you know, just grueling days yeah. and whatnot but i kind of feel like once they're back we're all just going to be like singing kumbaya and just be so happy oh, yeah yeah <laughs> i mean those those first few shows are going to be so surreal yeah because you know i was used to doing i was doing at least 12 to 15 shows a year and only two of them were here in Toronto. Yep. And so it was like, man, oh man, I was traveling all over Canada, all over North America and internationally. And that was just the norm. Like my family got used to, Oh yeah, Jim's going to be gone for Canadian Thanksgiving. Cause he's got New York. He's going to yep. be here, you know, and, and you could chart, I, I could build my year around, okay, we're in between C2 E2 and you know, like San Diego, like the, and you sort they were these milestones you would get to every year, you know, and that was kind of fun, but kind of crazy. And now all of a sudden you step back and you go, whoa, there's nothing that's, there's not, they're not happening. And the online convention stuff is fine. And I don't mind doing panels and YouTube, whatever, but it's not the same, of course. No, you know, it it's, feels, it's far from it. Do you feel that because there are no conventions, are you closer or further than you are with like your core group of fans? Um, it's hard to say, right? Like, you know, I think it's, it's definitely going to be, 
I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, there's a lot more interactivity on Twitter and stuff yeah. because we're down more. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's so funny too, because like one of the silver linings this year has been, I've been cooking like crazy and I really enjoy <laughs> it as like a distraction. Like yeah. in the moment that I'm cooking, I'm focused on, I'm going to make this food as good as possible. I'm not going to stress about the world. I'm just focused on what's here in front of me, getting chopped up or getting mixed in or whatever. And um, I start posting food photos on my Twitter. And now there's like a subset <laughs> of people who are like super excited about what I'm cooking. And I'm kind of laughing because I'm thinking to myself, you came here for Marvel superheroes and Dungeons and Dragons. And what you got is like, hey, check this fresh pasta I just yeah. whipped up, you know. But But it's good. It shows people that I'm more than just whatever the product, you know, yeah. like I'm a human being and yeah. here's, here's a bit of my life, I guess. And we're all kind of going through it, you know? And so That's, there's something kind of fun about, about that aspect of it that we've been having these little conversations about marinating, you know, meats and stuff like whatever. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Yeah, no, and that's exactly it. That's why, like, you know, that's kind of where my question came from because I'm noticing, like, your timeline, a lot of people's timeline. I'm like, I'm finding that I'm getting to know another side of people, you know? Yeah. And Some people, I, understandably, it's very political right now, and yeah. I totally understand that. But, like, as a Canadian, I feel like I don't have a horse in the race. I mean, I think the whole world has a horse in the race in terms of what's happening in America, but it's not my place to endlessly beat that drum. Like, yeah. I'll, you know, it's fairly obvious where I sit with this stuff, yeah. but I don't need to tell you every single day, uh, you know, and then otherwise it's like, hey, if I'm the guy posting pasta, you know, and that's your, your, the little port in a storm and then back into the fray. Okay. Like that, that works in that respect, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been kind of nice in that way. I've had some really good conversations with with professional friends as well. We've jumped on Zoom calls or phone calls, um, and that's been really heartwarming because you get that shared sense of purpose. And we had that at conventions, but usually it would just be refined to like you know bar con, like yeah. you go to the bar after the show's over, have a beer, and someone slaps you on the back, and you have a quick five minute conversation. And now we're having these like more involved calls and and you realizing yeah we're all kind of going through the same stuff or we're all sort of struggling with the same sort of feelings um you know and and editors too like i said i think that's been sort of surprising because there was always a bit of a divide where it's like well editors don't want to tip their hand too much because people want a lot from them and i've been on that other side of the publishing thing when i was at udon yeah you you it sounds weird but you have to have a distance you have to have a force field up because people want jobs and you are the person that controls in many cases who gets those jobs. And there's only so many positions and you're trying to get the work done. And so you have to put a bit of distance between you and the people you work with. Although you can be friendly, although you are in many cases friends after a certain point, there's also a difference there in terms of the responsibilities. Right. And I think a lot more people are kind of letting down those barriers and just going like, man, stuff's rough. Like, I don't know how I feel or <laughs> what we're going to do. And you're like, yep, I'm feeling it too. Yeah. And there's a, th th that common bond of we're all kind of riding it out. That's exactly it. It's such a cliche, good. but the reality is we are all in this together. Like, you know, yeah, 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 absolutely. So absolutely. one thing I wanted to bring up before we let you go and enjoy the mm -hmm. rest of your day is the empire strikes back 
from a certain <laughs> point of view. Yes, been... that is a really cool project. I don't yeah. know. So I'll, I'll explain what it is to your listeners. So they did this book a few years back called Star Wars from a certain point of view. And essentially they took a new hope because it was the 40th anniversary of, of, of episode four. And they had a bunch of writers come in and do this anthology. And each writer picked a secondary or a tertiary character. And it's just like absolute background characters. And wrote a story from their point of view, what was happening during Star Wars, right? So, you know, if you're the guy working behind the bar at the cantina and this, you know, uh, Han Solo just blew away Greedo, and what does that look like? What is yeah. your day like having to clean up the mess, you know? <laughs> or 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 when, when the old man Jedi and the farm kid come walking in and all of a sudden the, the lightsaber comes out and our guy's arm gets cut off, that was one of your customers. Like what, yeah. what's going on? You know? And so there was a really fun aspect where they were giving these very small characters life and they were really rounding them out or, or some of them were funny and some of them were poignant and some of them were strange, but they were all very entertaining. And so, um, I was approached to do one for the new one that's coming out in November called, uh, you know, Empire Strikes Back from a certain point of view. And so there was this huge list of characters that they are in the film and different authors were sort of grabbing their favorites and what may have you. And then some people were suggesting absolutely bizarre, obscure ones as well, you know, that are in the film droids in the background and, you know, random alien dude, number 12 or whatever, walking down the, the hallway. Um, and originally, I was going to do um, the the creature that's called a dragon snake, the thing that eats R two D two in the swamp and then spits him out. Yeah, and oh, I was wow. going to do a whole story how it was like going about its day, looking for food, and all of a sudden, this giant garbage can, you know, gets in its way, and it's going to try and eat this thing because this is its its big uh, big prize. And I started working on that, and the editor thought it was funny, and he goes. You know, if you want to do something on Dagobah, no one has no one has picked Yoda yet. And I was like, what? Oh and he's my like, goodness. yeah, I don't know if people are intimidated or they just overlooked it. But Yoda is still on the table. And I was like, oh, I'll kick myself if I don't do a Yoda story. And so I kind of went back to the drawing board and, and wrote up a very different kind of story about Yoda and, and him in exile on Dagobah and kind of how he has the way he's endured being out there, he's got a very set schedule and the yeah. things that he does and his forced meditation and all this stuff. And now all of a sudden something has disturbed it. You know, Luke has showed up and his schedule is about to go haywire. You know what I mean? And so, um, it was just a different kind of approach to the thing. And it was a lot of fun to work on and intimidating because it's star Wars yeah, and it's Yoda and everyone <laughs> knows these characters are like part of the cultural fabric, you know? Um, but fun too. People don't know me for prose. Like they don't, you know, I, so I can't lean on an artist to do the heavy lifting and <laughs> you know, it's, it's uh, it was a really cool challenge and something really joyous to, to be a part of. And the, the murderers row of talented authors that they have in this book is just ridiculous. And so I feel like the, like a kid, you know, like I snuck in, I don't know how the comic book guy got in here yeah. with all of these like seminal sci-fi and fantasy authors. And I'm like, I'm here too. You know, like <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, it's cute. It's fun. It's, it's weird. Um, and I really hope people like it. I, I had one of the funniest things, one of the fans, you know, star Wars fans, obviously intense, a bunch <laughs> of them don't know my work. Um, and people are messaging me and they're like, who's going to read your story in the audio book version. And I was like, 
oh my God, there's going to be an audiobook version and someone's <laughs> going to read my, what? I, I mean, of course, of course they are. But I hadn't thought of that. Like I just wasn't, it wasn't at the front of my mind, right? Yeah. So now I'm like really excited. First day of release, I'm going to get the audiobook, and I just want to hear someone uh, trying to make my prose sound epic and awesome, you know? That's That'll awesome. be cool. Yeah. It's funny, myself as a huge Star Wars fan, I know that I'm going to be buying the book multiple times, right? Like, there's going to be the Audible book for the audio part, and then I'm going to need to put it on my shelf behind me, right? Like, right, of course. It's just one of those things, because these things are canon as well, with, yes. with the last yeah. book identified that. So I'm just wondering, I had two questions regarding it. Sure. The first one being the... Um, the work with, I guess, Lucasfilm, is it just you're allowed to write whatever you want and then it get, just gets proofed? Like they go, yeah, we're, we're good with this. Well, you go through an approval process and this is true of most IPs that you're working with. Right. Um, and so you will put together an initial proposal and no one wants your time to be wasted or, or their time to be wasted. So you try and put together this outline that says, here's the broad brushstrokes of what I want to do. Here's what I think is you know, going to work. And then they'll come back to you with questions if they need clarifications, or they might say, this works, but watch out for this. Or in some cases, they might say, this doesn't work at all. We have other plans. you know. And so you're trying to kind of get one past the goalie. Like, like you're trying <laughs> to figure out what they need and what they want versus what you need and what you want. And in some cases, that works best with a, a formal kind of email proposal. And in other cases, it's a phone call, you know? Right. It just depends on the editor. depends on the project. Uh, you, you also change those relationships. Like at Marvel, I started off doing these very formal proposals. But once you've worked with the same editor for years, now we'll just jump on a call. And I'll be like, we're going to do this thing. It's going to be crazy. And it's going to be very poignant and emotional. And then he's like, yep. Because they know. Because they I trust can, you at that they point. They trust me, you know. But I wouldn't do that with Star Wars because I haven't done that before. So I have to be much more convincing, you know, in my in my formatting and all that. But they were actually really cool. Um, one of the things that was really interesting is because there's multiple approval processes at Lucasfilm. Uh, they sent me back the document with my proposal. And it, it, everyone's marked it up with comments. And there's like three different people. And in some cases, they're having an entire conversation in the comments and solving the problem before I even see it. So someone says, oh, is, wow. this, is this okay that they're doing this? And the other person goes, yes, it's fine because this. And the other person goes, oh, okay, I didn't know. And literally, <laughs> I'm reading these comments in my own proposal, and I'm like, well, I guess I, I'm okay, you know, like, or, or this is working. <laughs> but they're not always, you know, so they have multiple kind of processes and multiple people involved with it. Yeah. Um, but part of my job as a storyteller is to communicate. And that is not just communicating on the final printed page, but communicate to my editors, communicate to the publisher, communicate to the people in charge that this is worth their time, that this is worth their money and their investment, you know? So it's particularly when it's something off the beaten path, you know, like you're, you're mm -hmm. trying to convince the, so I'm doing the stranger things and Dungeons and Dragons miniseries, Dark Horse and IDW, plus you have Netflix and Wizards of the Coast. It's four different companies involved. Oh. All of them need to agree on what this thing is going to be. So part of it is getting on a phone call and my exuberance and my excitement and my confidence <laughs> has to show through. Like, this is going to work for these reasons. And here's, you know, I can handle any question you throw at me. That's how I know, you know, this is going to work and whatever. And you get them to buy in, you know, mentally, emotionally, whatever you want to call it. This is going to work. And then, mm -hmm. then the small stuff can get worked out. 
But if they don't believe up front, then it's just going to be a nightmare all the way through. You know? yeah. yeah. Now, so, the other thing I was kind of curious about was how different was it to go to prose versus writing for a comic or even writing for Dungeons and Dragons? How, it's incredibly was that? hard, actually. Uh, you yeah. know, I've done a minimal amount of prose and I don't consider myself a prose writer. And I realized how much I was used to having a conversation with the artist, that I was describing visual things to them and pacing things panel to panel in a very specific way that that is how I like to tell stories, you know? Mm-hmm. And I didn't have those at my disposal. And I felt uh, exposed, like, oh, I'm a, I'm a fraud. I can't do all my tricks, you know? <laughs> so, it, but it also became kind of a really potent thing to kind of go, okay, you know, you gotta, gotta make new tricks, gotta make new, gotta build new ways of doing things. I'm, I like doing pretty short dialogue bursts when it comes to my comic writing and that's true here as well i noticed in the prose that i tend to have short little paragraphs quick little descriptors and try and create a sense of momentum you know i'm not going to write a a, a massive seven sentence heavily poetic kind of prose that's not the way i tend to work i'm a little punchier and a little bit quicker as i go through it but that feels more like me anyway so it was a neat challenge. I don't know if it's something where I'm going to immediately line up and go, great, now I'm going to write a whole, you know, 100,000 word novel. But um, it was a cool, it was a cool thing to be able to do. And when I sent that first draft in, my wife is also a writer and she does more prose stuff. So I show, you know, it feels super weird too, because there I am like, again, like I don't belong here. And I'm like, hey, you want to read my prose story? And she reads this, no, it's fine. And I'm like, fine or like good? You know, like, <laughs> Because it's, you know, you want it to be great. And uh, she gave me great feedback and it was really awesome. And then I get, I send it into the editor. And, you know, again, the imposter syndrome, you're waiting for them to send it back and go, no, Jim, we wanted you to write. Like, I don't know what this is, but yeah. we wanted you to like write a story. This is not, this is just, what is this? You know, but of course they came back and they were very nice. And in and amongst the comments from Lucasfilm, there was a couple of really nice compliments in there as well. And I was like, oh, thank God, you know. Yeah, I fooled them again. Good stuff. <laughs> it's it's got to be intimidating, though, like to think that you're writing Yoda. Yeah, yeah. You know, like that's got to be just but, but, absolutely. But I'm, but I'm intimidated writing Conan the Barbarian, and I was exactly. intimidated yeah. words in Spider Man's mouth or Captain America. It's it's the same in that sense that you're always feeling that slight bit of all right, buddy, don't mess this one up. You know, like mm-hmm. let's let's make not not that I ever think to myself these don't count. But those ones feel like extra tightrope, you know, got to got to really walk it finely. Um, That's where it's also really helpful to have that feedback from your editor where they're looking at it with a fresh set of eyes and kind of going, hey, I know what you're going for here, but that's not quite. Or, or, you know, explain to me why you went this direction and just the act of explaining it. You're either going to realize it's the right choice or let's make this better, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's. I think people get afraid. They think that editors are like the enemy, like they're trying to stop you from doing what you want to do. And that's not the case, at least not good editors. You know, a good editor is someone who is trying to bring more of you into it, trying to make it as strong as it can be and and make it, you know, just rock solid in terms of its emotional content and it's, you know, the way it's delivering. And a good editor says, you know, I think you're going for this but we can make it more or we can lean into this better or let's, you know, avoid these pitfalls or whatever. That's, that's what good editorial does. 
And if you think that the relationship between writer and editor is antagonistic, you've either had some really terrible editors or you just don't know how this stuff's supposed to work. Yeah. You know, they're not the enemy, right? Like they are meant to be, we all want to make something we're proud of. We all want to make something awesome. This person does too. Like if, if they are fighting with you, then something is not being communicated earlier on in this process. Because they either don't understand your goals or they don't, you know, agree with them. Like, we've got to come to a common ground. Otherwise, this thing's going to be just nightmare fuel all the way to the end, you know? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right, Jim. Thank you so much for joining us, for chatting. My with pleasure. Us. I hope we, let's not wait another five years to do this again. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but let me go down the list of things. So, Conan the Barbarian, number 15 comes out October 21. Mm-hmm. You have The Stranger Things Dungeons and Dragons number 1 arriving November 4th and The Empire Strikes Back from a certain point of view is on sale November 10th and that can be pre-ordered now. Yes, all three of those. Good there you good go. awesome stuff. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Well, thank you. It's it's like again absolutely a, a pleasure having you on the show. We really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us and uh, and shed the insight that you have. It's just absolutely fascinating. Our listeners are going to love it. Awesome, thanks, man. Well, awesome. Keep Perfect. reading. It means a lot, and I deeply appreciate the support. So, all the best to you guys, and um, stay safe. have it what an awesome interview what an awesome time you know i i couldn't think of a better way to spend a muggy shitty sunday afternoon than talking to jim zub you know one of my favorite people to have on this show um and hopefully like i said many times we can have him on a lot sooner than five years down the line (laughs) for sure man for sure that was a great time I, i was really impressed with uh the whole experience the whole getting to chat with them just amazing yep exactly and there you go everyone that is our featured episode for this week i really wanted to focus on the awesome interview that we had with jim sub we have a lot coming over the next few weeks on sunday we will be releasing another news episode and then next week there's a show coming out on disney plus which I know Phil's excited for, which I know I'm excited for. And hopefully we can have a guest to talk about all things Mandalorian, all things Star Wars. That's going to be a fun one. Yeah, it's going to be a good time. Yep. And some of the things that we're going to be talking about on Sunday, we're going to be talking about Netflix and why the fuck they love canceling shows after <laughs> one season. Because Away. more got uh, more cancellations were announced because it's netflix so we'll talk a little bit more about that phil tell our listeners how they can get a hold of us certainly 
You can find us on the interwebs at www.itscanonpodcast.com. You can hit us up on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at It's Canon Podcast. You can email us at show at itscanonpodcast.com. You can subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, anywhere you find podcasts, you're going to find the It's Canon Podcast show. Heck, even Amazon, if you can get it in the States. If you like what you hear so far, make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button. And uh, basically, you know what? It's made possible by listeners like you. So please subscribe, leave a comment, leave a review. Let us know you're listening because we know we hear you in weird, fun ways. That's right. As Phil said, it's the It's Candid Podcast. The podcast where we talk about all things, everything. We talk about everything geek. We talk about everything in comics. We talk about everything in movies. Everything in video games. Everything toys. Everything and everything. Sometimes we'll even reach out, talk about sports. And you know what the best part of it all is, Phil? Uh, I'm hearing that I heard someone, maybe at Lucasfilm, got signed off three times, that uh, it's in canon. That's right. It is the It's Canon Podcast. I'm Boris. He's Phil. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back in a couple days. Be good to one another out there. <laughs>